Damon Salisa grew up in Auckland's Glen Innes, the son of a nurse and a factory worker. He went on to become a Rhodes Scholar and the first Pacifica Vice-Chancellor of a New Zealand university. But since taking over at AUT, university management has faced criticism for its handling of proposed job cuts. Now, a quick note, our conversation was recorded shortly before the job cuts were also proposed at Otago University. And as you'll see, Damon Salisa has some prescient warnings about financial pressures in our tertiary sector. I began by asking him about education in his upbringing. Well, I mean, education made the difference in my life. And, you know, my parents knew that, partly because my mother had come to Auckland from the country to seek it, and my father had come from Samoa, where he hadn't even gotten to high school. So education had a real value in, in, in our household. And then, you know, I knew that it was something that, that I enjoyed, but also that delivered opportunity into my life. And so that was something I got from my parents, but I observed around my community as well. Yeah, what, what did you observe? Well, one thing that was very clear in a, in a neighbourhood like Glen Innes is just how tough many families were doing it. And as families got on, they managed to often move on and, and deliver a better life for themselves. And one of the things you could see was that the people who had an education um, were better enabled to make choices you know, and move on. Okay, I'm going to give the back of the envelope CV. So you went to Selwyn College, yeah. then you went to the University of Auckland, and then you went to Oxford, where you became the first Rhodes Scholar of Pacific descent. What did the experience of studying at one of the world's most elite institutions teach you about access to education? <laughs> yeah, you learn some pretty interesting things when you're at a, a university, which has stood at the heart of exclusivity for centuries. And, you know, you wonder what you're doing there often <laughs> at the beginning, but you also question what education is for. Is education a small thing you, you give out sparingly to the privileged so that they can deepen their privilege and hold on to it? Or is education not really a substance at all, but an ignition that you light people's fire so that they can achieve their talent, so that they can be who, they, who their talent suggests they can be. And Oxford's probably one end of that model. <laughs> and where I'm at now, AUT's at the other, which is, you know, can we build a university that is for people to express their talent, where talent can find opportunity? And, you know, I think Oxford is a way of making the negative <laughs> visible in that sense. But also, you come to appreciate that privilege. When you walk into a library, <laughs> which has you know, 10 million volumes or whatever the Bodleian has, and that every book you can imagine is sitting there in the caverns underground. And you love knowledge and you love reading. It's a special place. But then you turn and you think, oh, what built that college? And you realise it was the, the wealth of slavery. And Rhodes House was built on, on diamond wealth from Southern Africa. And so you realise that privilege comes with a price and that the people who reap the value don't always pay the cost. <laughs> and you know, there, there's a kind of moral or ethical question that, that sits at the heart of even the most privileged education. So did you enjoy studying there? I did enjoy it, um, <laughs> you know, and, and you should enjoy it. I mean, what a wonderful place to learn, be surrounded by other um, deeply committed people to the life of the mind, people who, who come from all around the world, not just from England itself. And then to walk in the sort of steps of, of so many people you've thought of and, and learned of and, and even admired. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was a great time in my life, but it was also a time that had to, to 
have its own moment and then you move on from there. Yeah, I, and I will ask about moving on in a moment, but I'm just getting a sense you, you felt conflicted in a way. Yeah, and you know, the roads is, is a great example. You'll know all about the roads must fall movement. And if, and most of road scholars are kind of reflective, ethical people. And so you're, you're immediately put um, with this question about you know, where, where the wealth came from. And it's a little bit different now because lots of the original wealth has disappeared. But it does call the question about where the idea came from. And the idea was very different and would not have been meant to include someone like me at the outset, or indeed any woman, for instance. So you have to, to sort of reflect on it and make sure you can live with that opportunity. I knew that coming from where I came from, if I was going to get a, a free education, it was going to have to be <laughs> on someone else's, um, at someone else's expense. And, and the fact that it was Rhodes, I came to terms with by thinking through the contributions I intended to make. You've been in this job a year now. So when you accepted the role as AUT's Vice-Chancellor, how did you feel about the role of AUT in the context of New Zealand universities? Yeah, I, I was always attracted to AUT because of its particular commitment to delivering excellence for all students, making sure that wherever you came from, you had the opportunity to meet your potential here at AUT. And it's kind of a little bit different. It's almost the, it's the disruptor of New Zealand universities. You know, it's the youngest, in some ways, Others might say it was the brashest, but there's something very distinctive about it. Partly it's the diversity. It is the most diverse New Zealand university in terms of age, um, socioeconomic background and ethnicity. And partly it's the diversity of subjects. It, it teaches subjects that are designed to have impact in people's lives. And the way it teaches as well. So 90% of AUT students when they graduate will have had some workforce learning some workplace learning, some, what I call embodied learning. And so they, they, it's not just what you learn, it's also what you do, and the connection of those two things is a kind of deeper, um, impactful learning. I know that foreign students are very important for many New Zealand universities and their funding models. Do you think that foreign students get good value? That is a great question. I, I often think about that question because what this wonderful opportunity where we have eight world-class universities that attract students from across the world has delivered to New Zealand is essentially a subsidy. <laughs> um, you know, and for New Zealand students and for the New Zealand public, it's been a great deal. You know, we don't pay the full cost of a university education in New Zealand. We're funded at a far lower, lower rate. But these students, many of whom you know, are spending their families' life savings on an education and come here, we really owe them a great opportunity. We need to make sure that they have not just a, a great qualification, which they do get in New Zealand, but a great experience. I just think we could do better. And, and you know, I want those students to, to go away, if they go away, or stay, and just be the most powerful ambassadors for New Zealand. And I think what we've seen is that those people have made a huge difference in world politics. You know, if you think about, for instance, the education we gave Pacific leaders, um, after the Second World War led to a generation of Prime Ministers around the Pacific who had this deep affection for New Zealand, for its places, for its educational system, but above all for its people, which allowed New Zealand to have an influence that 
that it, it, it didn't deserve by the amount of investment it made or the size of New Zealand. And that's how education works. It changes people, you know, one person, one whānau at a time. As a result of losing foreign students, AUT has had to announce 230 job losses. Those are teaching jobs, academic staff, researchers. At a time when borders have finally reopened, foreign students can finally return, how do job cuts undermine the perception of AUT? The challenge that we've faced, and, and you know, when you become a, a Vice-Chancellor or a leader, the last thing you ever want to do is lay off um, your staff. So it is very much a last step that you take. But the challenge around the university is we have a three-year relationship with students. So when students aren't here the first year, they're also not here the second and third year. And so the, the deep cost of COVID is not a one-year thing and it, it won't be a one-year recovery. And you know, the decision was made here at AUT not to um, lay off staff when COVID began. But that essentially meant that at some point the financial challenge would have to be met. And you know, it is a, it's disappointing to me that we've been put in this place. But as we look around our city and nation at this moment, we know that we're not alone, that the, the cost of COVID, the cost of the rising cost of living has really transformed many of the fundamental things about the way we, we run many of our institutions and businesses. The flip side to it though, is that in trying to attract students back, you want to give them the best education possible. Absolutely. And when they Google AUT right now, they see researchers are going, they see teacher staff are going, they see academic staff are going, and they think, well, maybe AUT isn't gonna give me the same level of education that I would have expected five years ago. Yeah. Well, it is our intention that they won't see that. I mean, we've, we've made sure they that, will we can, though, at the moment, that we've right? delivered, well, that they won't see a decline in quality. I mean, one of the challenges we also face is that what students want and what industry needs changes. And so universities will have to be institutions of change to respond to communities and um, workforce needs. And that means for specialised staff who can't just simply move from one place to another, that there will be a process of change and that we need our universities to be responsive and agile. So we will see change and we're already seeing that AUT is not alone. We were the first out of the universities to experience that and to make the decision that we could wait no longer. But this year we're going to see many of the universities, most of them, um, in very difficult places. Um, and some hard decisions will have to be made, like we're seeing across the tertiary sector, not just within the universities. The process has been a bit messy, to put it kindly. So AUT's faced criticisms for breaking news of redundancies to individuals via email. Uh, you faced a successful legal challenge and have had to pause some of your plans. Why, why has it been poorly handled? Well, one of, part of it is the challenge of at a, being at an institution which hasn't undertaken this level of change before. And it's been great that AUT's been the, the great story in, in university education. We've grown, you know, the most recent university grown the fastest. But we do have an agreement with the union which didn't present a straightforward pathway to do this cleanly and with the speed that is able to be achieved at other um, institutions. Uh, we followed legal advice. Um, the advice that we followed clearly differed from others. Um, we sought to um, enact our, our AUT values of tika pono aroha. Um, I'm not satisfied 
with the way things turned out. But I am satisfied that we set out on this pathway to, it, to do it to the best of our ability. Um, and you know, the, the, the experience of some of our staff, now the hardest thing is to lose your job um, in a relationship with an employer. So we, that is a very deep and um, important commitment that we make. But we also make a commitment to the New Zealand taxpayer, to our students, to our communities to handle New Zealand taxpayer money diligently and carefully. And this is the challenge that I and others will be facing this year. Yeah, how bad is it going to be for other universities? Oh, that's really an issue for them, but I, I know that we are all sharing the pain. And, and I think the pain is a very real pain, and it's a New Zealand pain, where we did lock down for um, you know, over three months in Auckland, and that that impact of disrupted education has changed the lives of tens of thousands of young people, and it's turned many of them off education, where some because they had to go get employment, some because you know, education isn't really about staring at a screen solely for long periods of time. And so we've seen a significant downturn in the number of New Zealanders who wish to go to university. And while that's bad for universities, it's worse for New Zealand. I mean, New Zealand needs a highly educated, highly motivated, innovative, world-class um, workforce. And you know, this will change that. I want to come back to that point in just a minute. Just to pick up finally on that other universities point, would it be fair to say that you'd expect, as a percentage of the workforce, other universities to be in a comparable position to AUT? Yeah, I mean, most universities have a roughly similar um, model, which is that you know student fees and government contribution are the largest single support for the university. Ours is unusually high at AUT, which is part of our challenge. Um, but that will mean that you know, some things can't be delayed for very long. And so the, the, the challenge for universities, you know, which are great at many things, will be how to do this, um, you know, and, and at what scale it can be done and indeed what scale it can be avoided. Yeah. Do you take responsibility personally for the discontent amongst some of your staff? Well, the Vice-Chancellor should take responsibility for everything. Um, and you know, it, it pains me that our staff have been through this. I think there's a strong understanding amongst our staff that it was necessary. They understand the financial rationale. And there's also a strong sense amongst our staff that it was not what we hoped it would be as a process. And I think you know, we, I have to work and our team, our leadership team has to work to support our staff to make sure that this wonderful institution, you know, one of New Zealand's largest universities, is going to be able to run at full speed just at this wonderful moment where the students have come back and you've seen the, the life around campus has helped to remind us what we're here for. You talked about the number of New Zealanders who've been turned off tertiary education who might otherwise have been here studying. How do we bring them back? Oh, that's a great question. I, I hope that they're not turned off. I think that they've been forced to make um, different decisions because of the current pressures. One is, you know, this period of of um, lost learning, you know, this period where education is always about the academic side, but it's holistic. You know, it is about friendship and collegiality. It's about the kind of um, all those other great things that happen in schools and in universities. So some of them may well come back. The others who have had to go into the workforce, not because they want to, but because that's how their whānau makes ends meet. You know, 
we have a, we have a different challenge there. You know, both of those are challenges, but they're different ones, and we have to meet that in a in a much broader way. I think. I want to ask about Kiutaki Tai, which is your student success plan. That's an alternative model for ways that government would fund universities. Can you tell me a bit about it? Yeah, well, unfortunately, we're not receiving any more money to deliver this program. And as the university, which has the highest proportion of um, students from the lowest socioeconomic deciles, that's a particular challenge. But our approach, Kiutakita, is not just about students from the lower socioeconomic end. It's about all students who need some support to reach their academic potential. And that includes many students from the other end of town, for instance, who didn't have a great schooling experience and, and their year 12 and year 13 don't really speak to their potential. And what we know is that many of the reasons that students leave education are not educational in their nature. They're about the experience itself, they're about social support, they're about cohort building, about relationships, about for want of a bus pass, you know. And we, we just need to understand that small efforts in the right way can really support quite different outcomes. And by building or rebuilding a university that is focused on that student experience. So students don't have to learn the university, which, you know, and so, from some uses an arcane kind of European model that goes back centuries, where we actually present ourselves in a way that students can instantly make sense of, and that they don't have to go from here to there, but they just can get what they need, um, where they need it, and when they need it. To be really clear though, would changing the way universities are funded from the government end benefit AUT? Oh, there's no question that the current funding model does not recognise the true value of, a, of an educational experience at AUT. So when you uplift a student, um, who may be the first in their family, and, and nearly half of AUT students are the first in their family to go to university, the first generation to come to university, and we deliver them into a, you know, a high contributing, high paying job, that is the greatest outcome um, I could imagine. I, I'm, I'm proud when, when our staff and our university does that. But we're funded the same whether that, that is a person who's the first in generation, or if they're the child of neurosurgeons. And, no one can look me in the eye and say that's the same distance travelled, <laughs> you know. Um, so I do think that there is, we could do a better job at recognising that the distance travelled, I call it, or the value add of a university if you want a kind of financial model. But particularly we could do a better job at recognising um, that at the moment our system suggests when from year one to 13, we have a funding model that, that indexes your deprivation and, Talking and about so deciles. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the equity index that's replaced the decile system. So we acknowledge that, that there's different levels of preparedness and opportunity, but somehow that at year 13 that finishes, <laughs> and that when you come to university the world is equal, and I, that has not been my experience. Yeah. Your predecessor was in the role for 18 years. You going to be in there for the same time? No, I'm not going to be here for eight years. <laughs> How long are you going to be here? Uh, I shouldn't say. Um, yeah, no, I, I think we've seen that the, the um, time of service of vice chancellors is decreasing um, because the nature of the job has changed. You know, the, the vice chancellor is both an academic leader and a CEO, and the CEO but but is now probably an equivalent piece. We're running these major institutions, and I think. 
you know, there's a period at which, you know, it's time to, to make the pass and put someone into a gap. And so I'll be cognizant of that. So. Well, I'm just going to put an arbitrary year on it for the sake of this question. Let's say 2030, give me a vision. What will AUT be to New Zealand in the year 2030? Oh, I think AUT will be even more clearly New Zealand's University of Technology. Every one of those students coming out of AUT will be, have experienced a, a work placement and will arrive in a job, which we're very close to there now. Um, I think the bit I'm really um, excited by is that contribution AUT can make in the innovation and research space and in partnerships. So we'll be in these critical partnerships to support New Zealand industry, New Zealand business. We're already the key workforce provider for, um, one of the key workforce providers for the Te Whatuora. Um, so through our partners, we will be changing New Zealand and through that contribution and that research and innovation space, we will be uh, remaking Auckland and that bit is truly exciting and we need lots more support around that. That's one of the missing pieces of the New Zealand puzzle. So we don't do enough research, we don't do enough innovation. That is AUT Vice-Chancellor Damon Salesa.